Good morning to Grace Place family, both online and on campus. Grateful that you're here. Oh, wow, look at that. Got some feedback. Thank you. Yes, this is participatory. You can jump in at any time. Just raise your hand if you have a question. All right. <laughs> Grateful you are here. We know uh, the, as we begin the Advent season that uh, these are always so special. Every single service we want to encourage you to be a part of. God has something in store for us. We're going to be talking about hope today. There are two passages of Scripture that we're looking at uh, that I don't know for as long as I have been preaching and speaking, it's the first time this really struck me that the central location of Bethlehem was the story of hope and the story of great fear. Uh, let's look at Malachi or Micah, I'm sorry, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, one of the books in the, in the Old Testament prophecy. It's actually one of the last prophecies about where Jesus would be born. Um, Micah chapter, it's on, if you're looking for it, it's just such a little book. It's on page 786, right? <laughs> we do have some <clears throat> of the study Bible still available in the back, and our team would be glad to help you at the connections table. If you'd like to get some of those, we, we ordered them. They were lagging behind, and we f keep forgetting to tell you they're here and ready. So uh, they'd be happy to, to serve you and get you one of those if you need one. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and then we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses 16 through 18. Is everybody at Micah chapter 5? All right, let's stand for the reading of God's word together. <clears throat> But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, through, through you, uh, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from of old, from everlasting. And then find your place, if you will, at uh, Matthew chapter 2. <clears throat> beginning at verse 16. The rustling of pages has ceased, so we'll read. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Heavenly Father, we come to you with such gratitude as we think through what this season means for us in terms of the great hope, but we also come with the realization that we are still living in a world that is filled with evil, and that evil touches every life. And so as we come to Christmas this season, we are not uh, ignorant of the fact that there are those that are in great suffering those who have suffered loss, those who are 
worried and fearful. But in the midst of that, hope comes in the form of Jesus Christ. And we invite you, Lord, to fill us today with that great hope and that our eyes would be opened again to see, Lord, not only this just in this season, but what this means for us lifelong. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. A dear friend of mine uh, recently posted a quote from Sam Harris, who is an American writer and a philosopher, and uh, I thought this was uh, kind of fitting as an opener for us to understand the pain, the, the fear, and the, the suffering that happens in life. Uh, a little pessimistic for Sam Harris, but he writes, every person you have ever met Every person you will pass in the street today is going to die. Living long enough, each will suffer the loss of friends and family. All are going to lose everything they love in this world. Why would one want to be anything but kind to them in the meantime? Life gives us so much to mourn and to long for and to cry out for and to love, freedom, forgiveness, and meaning. And yet, none of these things uh, will bring us satisfaction. Instead, they are, they are meant to point us to a deeper need, one that has nothing in this world that is, is able to satisfy in any way, shape, or form. All of our hopes and our fears, and I love that line in the, the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, all of our hopes and fears are met in thee tonight. The good news, these two, uh, as, as, we, as we take a look at these passages, is, is that the one that is longed for, uh, uh, that fulfills promise, is, is available, has come clothed in flesh, but as we read these two passages, we're struck at how they stand side by side, illustrating the tension between hope and fear. The latter is a move by Satan that is intended to abort the former. The fear is to abort your hope. A people without hope are fair game. They're easy prey, more focused on what? can go wrong than focusing on what might happen that could go right. And so we come into this season with that full awareness and recognition, and we are struck as we read about the murder of children at Bethlehem. It was foreseen by God. It was accomplished, uh, an accomplishment of, of ancient prophecy. We read a moment ago, Jeremiah prophesied it. But this does not mean that, that God ordered it. It shows us it could not be uh, that that the hope that God was bringing could not be frustrated. God's purposes could not be frustrated. The purposes were laid down in full knowledge, and, and Herod's attempt to nullify them were brought to naught. Biblical scholar W. F. Adney wrote, "Herod was doomed to failure. His guilt was not the less because his crime was useless." But his power as an enemy of Christ is thus shown to be quite futile. Nothing can ultimately frustrate God's great design. 
Godly hope cannot be defeated. You see, the first Herod was not allowed to touch him when it was essential to God's plan that he should live. The second Herod was permitted to have a hand in his death, but only when the time had fully come and when the divine destiny was fulfilled by means of the cross, Jesus gave up his life. The opening words of Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that we read a moment ago, but you, Bethlehem, begin the promise of hope. The foretelling of a coming of, of, of a, a tiny baby who is the king, who would be our king at one time. And then note how swiftly as we look at the passages that the enemy seeks to come in and to remove hope. And so wherever God has planted hope in you, wherever the promise of hope is for your life and what God has in store for you, immediately the enemy comes to disrupt and destroy that hope and to supplant fear. And this was the case here. Within a sense of immediacy, it says, he sent forth, speaking of Herod, and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under. The story of Herod's brutal paranoia shocks us awake and it helps us to understand why Jesus had to come in the first place. Without a, a, a reverence for God and His Word, we human beings sometimes show a remarkable propensity for brutality as, as a culture, that we, we can easily lose sight of the preciousness of each person created in the image of God. The slaying of innocence reminds us of how easily we could all slip into the mentality that puts personal protection, our own reputation, our positions above the rights of those who are vulnerable and powerless. Just because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, that doesn't mean that he came into a safe and pristine world or was somehow insulated from the realities of evil that were unleashed and are unleashed among us. As we read through this, we get a picture of how that at the coming of a precious gift from heaven, a brutal world awaited him. And isn't that the core of the gospel story? All the hatred, evil, and violence was directed at him. God in full knowledge sent hope, and hope arrived. Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. You see, when Christmas comes in any year, refugees will still be fleeing some horror in faraway homelands or near. 
powerful people will still be threatening the vulnerable. Death will continue to stalk the unsuspecting. And into this madness and this want and this evil, God comes to give life, to show the way, to fulfill hope. And this too is the gospel. The image of salvation in the midst of cruelty is accurate. You see, a shallow faith that we could have will not want to hear about the murders of children. And yet we live in a nation that accommodated it and still does. But such horrors are not ended by failing to hear about them, recite them, remember them. What overpowers the bloody spectacles of human beings create is the overwhelming truth that God gives, not only a means of responding to evil, but also a good reason for responding to evil. And here it is, summed up. God's creation is holy, intended for good. Every life deserves a breath and life. Every life has a purpose. Every life has a calling and a mission and a place in God's economy. We cannot avoid noticing as we read through these passages together and remember the story that there was a warning for Mary and Joseph of what was happening, what was coming to their doorstep. And they were able to take what they had and flee to Egypt and safely be there. And Jesus was preserved, but we can't avoid noticing that the parents of the children targeted by Herod do not receive the angel's message. This again is the reality in our world. And it is a circumstance worthy of our prayer and of our mourning. We do not understand it. We must say that not every one is saved from others' evil deeds. We have no promise in this world that evil will not reach out and touch us. And even as Christians, we come to understand that the words of Jesus are to be lived out in our life at times, that if they persecuted me, they will persecute you for my name's sake. This Jesus, born in the midst of Herod's brutality, though brought hope to all of us, and his life lived out shows us that he knows our suffering. He comes to the frightened and the sick and the hungry. He feeds, he heals, he teaches the presence of God's power wherever there are tears is present to comfort, to bring hope, to show that there is something beyond what we're living through in the moment. Even Job, who was in Scripture, we're told, surrounded by a hedge that protected the enemy from touching his person, God brought down the hedge and allowed the enemy to reach out and touch him with disease, to afflict him, 
to strike down his children, to take away his wealth. But Job persevered with the hope of the knowledge that he had of his relationship with God, to know that God is too kind to be cruel and too wise to make a mistake. And he says, in, in the midst of all of this, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Disciples in the New Testament rose up when Jesus asked, one of the disciples rose up when Jesus asked the question uh, after some had strayed and walked away. Some of the disciples in the group of the 70 had walked away. They were discouraged. They thought Jesus was preaching a hard message, saying a hard thing. And they walked away, left the ministry, checked out, decided not to serve, got discouraged, decided church wasn't for them. Jesus turned to his disciples that remained and he said, will you go away also? And one rose up and said, Lord, where can we go? For you have the words of life. You are our hope. We worship God who comforts those who suffer, who receives, forgives, and redeems all who repent. Christians do not worship a God who simply fixes problems. We worship a God who is our hope, who we lean into, who is not just an answer for the moment, but is the answer for eternity. And this is our hope, Jesus, our Savior. His journey began as your journey began, as a child born into the world. And his journey would end with great cruelty, injustice, evil, suffering, and shame. As we thought through our theme this year, carrying Advent into the season, we thought about that tension of Jesus' birth and the, the coming crucifixion, the crown of thorns that would be worn upon his head. Born to be king, born to die. But the good news of it was death could not hold him. And it's the truth of hope, of the hope of God that death cannot, cannot prevent hope from coming forward. Whatever you're going through, whatever your circumstances, we enter into this Christmas season. Whatever darkness looms ahead, whatever fear uh, you might be facing and wrestling with in this moment, it will not prevent the hope of God from springing forth in the midst of the darkest of moments. Amen. Praise God. His journey began like yours, but he came to be the one who suffered great cruelty, injustice, evil, suffering, shame. But not even death could hold him back. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. We opened this morning on our Advent with the, the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and Thank you, worship team, for you did such a fantastic job today. And thank you, uh, Brianna, for doing this for us, leading us into this. And as I was saying, uh, I was struck by the words uh, at the beginning here. O little town of Bethlehem, how, st how still we see thee lie above thy deep and dreamless sleep. The silent stars go by, yet in the dark street shineth the everlasting light. And here it is, the hope and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight.
He is the fulfillment of hope, the hope uh, eternal that we have. And his challenge to us, and we're going to lead that way in prayer in a moment, for those of you online, those of you on campus, his challenge to us is that uh, there, there's not that there will never be fear, that at opportunities to fear and to worry about things that are coming, but that we appropriately align our fear. As, it, as uh, Matthew uh, as written in Matthew, Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, But cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Fear is Satan's attempt to cancel hope for your life. To get you to move a little right or a little left of where God's taking you. Because we all travel through valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, the, you know, the valley of, of tribulations and trials. And he wants, us, he wants to divert us in those places, to get us to abort the hope that God has. But it is in this season and this reminder to us that Jesus is our hope, that we can press forward in the midst of that because we're not walking alone. He's walking beside us, even in the darkest hours, even in the greatest fears, even in the, the, the worries that consume us and keep us awake at night. He invites us to, hey, place your fear in the right place. I'm going to see you through. I'm your hope. I'm bringing promise out of this. Don't let the enemy cancel your hope. And so I want to pray this morning for people who find themselves gripped with fear. For people who need a fresh view of hope in Christ Jesus. You have found a, a, yourself, as we enter this season, in a place of allowing the fears, the doubts, the discouragements to direct decisions that you're making. You heard God's voice in an earlier place, and now you're saying that's too big of a mountain, we can't take that, we have to pull back. We're watching around our, the economy in, in America and we're seeing things starting to stir and happen as a result of uh, the economy beginning to go down. Jobs, layoffs. And there, there can come this, this place of living in fear where we huddle up and, and we're, we're uh, in, in a place of, of fear and we're, we're actually allowing the enemy to bring the fulfillment of what he wants to do because we're not moving forward with God. When armies are marching and moving forward, their enemies are never really aware exactly what they're going to do. But when they camp and they stay a long season in a place, they become an easy target for the enemy to come and to see down in the valley and to, to attack and strategically lay traps for. God doesn't want us just sitting, waiting, uh, so the enemy can lay traps ahead of us. He wants us to keep moving, to keep advancing. And so I want to pray with those first online. You are uh, sensing in this season tremendous fear. It's paralyzed you. It's paralyzed your family. We want to lift you up to the Lord today. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus for our online church campus. And we are thankful and grateful for them, Lord. And we ask you that, that they would not grow weary in well-doing, but God, that they would understand that the hope of Christ is available to them, is 
drawing them into great promise and great victory if they will continue to move, even though it looks discouraging, it looks difficult, it looks dark in this season. If they keep pressing forward, the great hope, the great promise of Christ that you've made is fulfilled, is going to be fulfilled. You're going to bring it to pass. Lord, maybe that's a season where they have been touched by sickness or, um, Lord, by, by financial difficulty or uh, marriage uh, infidelity, whatever it might be. There's nothing too big for God. But the hope of Christ is big enough to rise if you will invite him in and continue to go forward and press in. The promise and the, of the hope is going to be fulfilled for your life. We are so grateful for that, Lord, so thankful in Jesus' name. We thank you for that. I want to ask you to stand with me, those of you who are here on campus. And as our worship team is leading us, there's something that is fearful in your life that has been challenging, that has been difficult. And you need the hope of Christ to stir you up and to encourage you. I want to pray with you. And any members of the prayer team or leadership that want to come and join me this morning, please feel free to do that. We want to agree with you today that God is going to fill you with hope in the midst of darkness, in the midst of, of difficulty and challenges.